And when that towel represents your marriage, your friendships, your promises, your children, the consequences are devastating and agonising. The crash is crushing. On the other hand, trust, that's my alarm, the trust that is strong, stable, reliable, steadfast, honest, long-lasting, confident, positive, enduring, secure, unchanging and solid is the builder of good things that grow and flourish. Long-lasting and rewarding relationships succeed where trust is the foundation. I think perhaps the best example of trust in a relationship is that between a newborn child and their mother. And being in this season myself, I have been reminded of how dependent a child is on their parents and how their very survival relies on you responding to their needs without too much delay. It's a visceral trust that exposes everything that is vulnerable about mankind and it lays it bare. Your baby cries out, you pick them up. You bring them comfort, they open their mouth and you fill it with food that will nourish them and support their growth. They get weary and so you ease them into a gentle place of rest where they can restore knowing that they are safe and that they are protected. They look to you for everything, every little thing. And it is my greatest challenge as a parent to raise my children from babies who look to me for their everything into adults who look to the father for their everything. The way they trust me is the way I am taught to trust him. The Bible tells us to come to our Father like children, eyes wide and trusting. Psalm 33 describes our relationship with a Father who is trustworthy. We are the children of God and we trust him. God's people trust him. And this begs the question, what are we trusting? So let's read verses four and four to nine, and you should be able to see them up here behind me. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water, waters of the sea into jars, and he puts the deep into storehouses. <coughs> Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. God's people trust him, and we trust his word. So let's unpack this a little bit. What does the psalmist mean by the word in this psalm? Is it a written word? Is it a spoken word? But perhaps the more important question we need to ask first is, can we trust it, whatever form it is? We know from verse 4 that whatever it is, it is right and it's true. 
the word of God can be believed in and hoped upon because as we continue to read in the rest of verse 4, he is faithful in all he does. He is deeply concerned with righteousness and justice and his love fills the earth. We can trust that God loves his creation and we are included, wrapped up and surrounded by this unfailing love. So let's move on to the word now. In the Bible, the word means several different things, but this psalmist is referring here to a very specific type of word. Verse 6 reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. This magnificent word has the power to create. Here the psalmist references Genesis 1. And you'll remember in Genesis, all things were made by the commands of the Lord. He didn't just think things into being, he spoke them. Genesis 1.14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let there be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. These are God's words. This is his voice. So we are looking at a God who speaks to create. He opens his mouth and speaks. And as he speaks, his breath is expelled. And even in his breath comes life. The stars were made by the breath that came out as God spoke. God's word and God's spirit, they're both parallel figures. God's word in his almighty speech, God's spirit in his almighty breath, both convey the thought of his power in action. The speech and the breath of God appear together in the record of creation, word and spirit together. The Hebrew word for breath is ruach. It is the same word used to describe God's Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters before creation. There is such a human quality to how God has chosen to express himself. I shouldn't be surprised, given that we are made in his image. However, I tend to Hollywoodize God as being a further away and being more distant and being more removed. And though interested, perhaps a little bit too separate from his creation. And I tend to think about humbling myself before the Lord and I'm kneeling down and getting low. But even in that way, he then seems so very far away. What we see here in Psalm 33 is a God who is actively engaged with his creation. When it came to forming man in Genesis chapter 2, God breathed into man's nostrils and he had life. I mean, how close do you have to be to feel somebody's breath in, in your nostrils? You have to do away with all personal space boundaries to achieve this. It is intimate. It is close. God, Jesus breathed on his disciples in John chapter 20 when he gave them his Holy Spirit. Let me read it to you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word of God is God at work. Our God who is holy speaks. He speaks. He's not silent. His words come out from within him and they go out from him into the world so that we may hear them and obey them. And not just us, but all of creation hears the words of God and responds in obedience. Verse 9 says, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood, stood firm. God's people trust him. We trust his word. When Matt and I got married ten and a half years ago, we had a fairly difficult first year of marriage. We hadn't learnt the art of a good fight, and so we would start our fights at 10pm whilst we were laying down in bed. Rookie error, right? I would raise something that would respond quickly. I would then think about what he had said and try to work out, was it fair, was it unfair, was it mine, was it his, like, who should take responsibility for this? What does it mean? Trying to decipher what he was saying and what am I feeling and trying to isolate. No, no, no. What is actually the most important thing right here? And as I am thinking and trying to work out how I should map out the next paragraph, think what I'm going to say, Matt has fallen. I sleep. Our fights were long and largely silent. It was not ideal. Very hurtful. And then one day, we were fighting in the morning because Matt had fallen asleep in the fight the night before. And so then we had to fight about that in the morning. And you know, he said to me, something that has changed my life. He said, do you think that you could just give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm not trying to hurt you? Could you assume that I didn't mean to hurt you, just from the get-go, just as a baseline. Could you just try to remember that I will never intentionally hurt you? He was asking me to trust him, to trust his word and to trust his goodwill towards me, to believe that he was not trying to hurt me and to expect that to be true for the rest of our marriage. By trusting Matt, all of a sudden, we were immediately on the same team. I didn't need to protect myself from him. By actively trusting him, we were able to find that we grew so much more, so much, so quickly. We had a much more intimate relationship. We could be vulnerable with each other in a way that was safe and therefore could be raw and deep. There was no defensiveness or sabotage. We were stronger. Our foundation was not undermined by doubt or suspicion. And to have all of that, I needed to trust his word. Trusting the words of others, that's game, it's a game changer. So how does the psalmist encourage God's people to respond to God's word? Well, we're urged to worship. The call to worship is in verse one to three. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Does anybody play the harp by any interest? Make music to him on the 10-string lyre. Anyone with a 10-string lyre? 
Sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. This is eight course meal worship, complete with matching wines and palate cleanses between courses. It's worship where God's people bring what they have. They use their gifts and their talents and they do a darn good job of it. They're skillful, it's joyful, it's satisfying worship. It's pleasing. So with his breath and hands and voice, he created and molded the world into being. With ours, we sing and praise and make music and create songs that express our shouts of joy. When it comes to trust, I think doubt, hope and faith do a three-figure waltz. The magical thing about worship through music, though, is that it quickly creates a melody for us to describe our thoughts, our doubts, our feelings, our expressions, and bring them into the community of believers. Worship is our heart song. And then together, we turn our eyes to Christ. And we encourage and remind each other of what God has done and of what God is doing. God's people trust him. We trust his word. We also trust what he is doing. We trust his plan. God's plan was established in eternity past, well before he created the heavens and the earth, and will continue into eternity future, where mankind will enjoy God's presence for all eternity. When we looked at the Big Picture series in January, we looked at what God's plan was. The psalmist in Psalm 33 sits at a certain point in history and sheds some light on their knowledge of God's plan so far. So let's walk through this together and see what we can glean. Because we sit at a different point in history and our perspective is different. So let's read from verse 10. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. This is pretty dire. How many times has God intervened into the plans that man has made to redirect, to correct, and in some cases completely stop their trajectory? When the people built the Tower of Babel, he gave them all different languages to disable their communication together and so stopped them from continuing with their plan. Verse 11 reads, But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Right from the beginning of creation, God had Jesus' purpose in mind. As Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he has Jesus, the saviour of the world, in mind. There is nothing that has happened that has deterred God from the path that he has determined. The faith of mankind is stimulated and perpetuated by none other than God himself. He is committed from all time to all time. God's plan for a relationship with humanity comes from within himself and so lives within us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. We know that God chose a people to himself, the Israelites, who at this time have David as their king. And David, as you know, goes on to provide the line to Jesus. He is Jesus' ancestor. 
and the inheritance is coming, and it is for God's chosen people. God isn't just interested in his chosen people, though. And I love what the psalmist describes here in this next section. He describes our Heavenly Father, who is intimately involved and interested in what happens in the world that he made. Verse 13 reads, From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. So again, we see God is interested. We see God is involved in the people that he created, not just the Israelites. We have a little bit more to the story than our dear psalmist had. We know that after Jesus gave his Holy Spirit to his believers, that he opened up a way for all people to come to God. Anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Everyone is welcome. The nation of believers is now all who belong to the kingdom of God. He sees us. He watches us. He thinks about us. He knows our heart. He is present in our coming and our goings, our triumphs, our struggles, our day in and our day out rhythms. Our God is not absent or silent. He's active. He's moving today. We read that the Israelites ask for a king time and time again, a king to protect them from the other nations, someone the Israelites could protect. But David writes that no king is saved by his army. No warrior escapes by his own great strength. It is not the purpose of man, not by the purposes of and strength of man that we're saved, but it is only by the power of God at his discretion, for his purpose. Psalm 33 ends with another call to worship as the settled and the secure believers trust the plan of God. Verse 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So as God watches all that we do, he is also our help and our shield. How close do you have to be to be someone's shield? You don't shield somebody from a distance. In fact, you wear the shield on your body. It touches you. It moves with you. It is effective because there is nothing separating you from your shield. As we wait for the coming of Christ and live out the generous plan of God, he offers us his protection and help. He is watching the hearts of all the people on earth. But the hearts of believers, well, we rejoice because we trust God's plan. A story is told of a newly elected politician who had just arrived in Washington, D.C. He was visiting at the home of one of the ranking senators, and the two men stood looking out at the river as an old rotten log floated by. And the old senator said, the city is like that log out there. How is that? asked the younger man. The senator replied, well, 
There are probably hundreds of bugs and ants and critters on that log as it floats down the river. And I imagine that every one of them thinks that he is steering it. May we not be fooled into thinking that we are steering God's plan. As a community of believers, we get the unbelievable privilege of enjoying the log that we are on as we travel down this part of the river. The part of the river that we are on has never been seen before. It has never existed in time. This is not the same bend that the psalmist was on when he wrote this psalm. They're not the same bugs. The generations have grown and come. The log has also changed. It's been built upon. It's been worn down in parts. It's grown new moss. But the thing that is the same is the water in the river that is moving the log along. There is still nothing that the bug can do to steer the log. So what does this mean for us at H3O? What does it look like for us to trust God's plan? Well, we are the nation. We are the believers. We are God's people. We are the church. We are the people who know and love God on the second day of spring, 2018. We are it. We are occupying the same earth, breathing the same air, drinking the same water as the real life people documented in the Bible. And what's more, God's plan includes us. He planned for there to be a gathering of believers that meets in a surf club. This is also something that he knew would exist. On the day that God made the surf, he knew that people would gather around it and form clubs and build a building near it where one day people who loved him and believed in him would gather to remind each other of what he has done. Let's not underestimate our place in history. Let's not diminish our value in the community and in the kingdom of God for DY, Curl Curl, Alambi Heights, Avalon, Collaroy, Narrabeen, Frenchers Forest, Davidson, Cromer, Collaroy Plateau, and everywhere else where we live. Let's not be blinded into thinking that we alone made the decision to join H3O. God's plan to draw a people to himself is playing out in our time through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is not neat. It's not shiny. It's not glamorous. It's earthy. It's human. It's noisy. It's messy. God's people, us, we're broken. We're prone to sinfulness. But my goodness is what we have here this is holy. This is sacred. This is God's plan at work that you and I can meet to acknowledge and trust in our creator. Within the plan of God, we have a real job to do. 
to go and make disciples. So the next time that you feel nervous or hesitant or unsure, remember that there is the power of God with you, in you, and moving through you. Our Heavenly Father is paying attention to us. He is paying attention to you. And the life that is in your heart, he sees you. God's people trust him. We trust his plan. So to finish today, I thought that what we could do, I've given you a little slip of paper, which has verses 20 to 22 on it. What I thought we could do is to read it together, out loud, use our voices to speak the words of God, and then take it home. Pop it on your fridge or pop it in your car, somewhere where you can see it, to remember and to remind you that you are one of God's people, that he sees you, that we trust him, we trust his word, and we trust his plan. So let's read together. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Amen. Happy Father's Day.